Welcome back everyone to an episode of Bedtime with Dan. We're carrying on our stories of Thebes. Um, let's see how far we can get today. So this story is the seven against Thebes. So the Theban prince Teoles and Polonies, Oedipus, sons and brothers that come of age. They both wanted the throne of Thebes and adopted a compromise that was bound to fail, whereby each of them would rule for a year, while the other made himself scarce. Teoles ruled first, with Polynice spending a year in Argos at the court of King Adrestus. As insurance, he took with him a family heirloom, a fabulous necklace made of Harmonia by Hephaestus. Nevertheless, at the end of the year, Teoles refused to give up the throne. Power had gone to his head. During his year of exile, Polynice had married one of the Adrestus' daughters, and the Argive king now promised to help him restore him to his throne. After all, there was far more point in having a king as a son-in-law than a homeless exile. Adrastus assembled an army that was led by seven companies, himself, Polynice, Tidus, Capneus, Hippodian, Harthinipals, and the soothslayer Amphirus. Amphirus at first refused to join the expedition. He knew by division that he would not return for it. He went into hiding, and his absence threatened to abort the effect altogether. But his wife was bribed by Polynice with a cursed necklace of Harmonia. She revealed her husband's hiding place, and Amphius bravely accepted his fate. The seven decided on Thebes as wolves descending from the hills in winter to steal defenceless lambs. They were seven only, but they were a match for seven hundred ordinary men. Their route took them past Nemea where they found Hypipsil, the former queen of Lemnos, a victim of warfare. She was bound into servitude to the loyal king Lycurgus as the nursemaid of his infant son and heir, Adrastus. Troops were short of water, and Hypipsil offered to show them the way to the spring. She led the cradle containing her young charge on the ground. While she was away, a serpent came and devoured the child. When the seven had quenched their thirst, they returned to the scene of a bloody horror, with the mangled remains of a baby scattered on the ground and dribbling out of the monster's mouth. Too late, they killed the serpent, but to honour the baby who died so that they might quench their thirst, they instituted games that are held still today, once every four years, like the games of Olympia. The heroes found the seven-mouthed city of Thebes well defended. Seven warriors had volunteered to hold the gates against the enemy. The Thebans were not defenceless lambs, after all. The Theban seer Tiersias foretold that the city would not fall as long as one of their descendants of the original five sown men sacrificed himself. If this happened, said Tiresia, the debt incurred by Cadmus killing the Ares dragon would finally have been paid off, and the city would survive the assault. Menesius willingly sacrifice himself on the very spot where the dragon's lair had been but still it seemed that the fate of the city hung in a balance the seven met the seven theban champions in single combat to decide the war one of each of the city's gates it was an outright victory for the thebians of the attackers only capneus succeeded in scaling the walls but once he reached the top he crowed that not even a fire of zeus would stop him but it did because dark-browed Zeus struck him with a bolt of lightning from, for his arrogance, even Tidus died, though he was a favourite of Athena. When he was fatally wounded by 
Melanippus, the goddess flew down from Olympus to administrate a portion of immortality for the dying warrior and transported him afterwards to bright Olympus. But Amphius, who hated Tidus, killed Melanippus and gave Tidus his brains to eat. In this way, he suggested, he will gain the dead man's spirit and live. Amphius' grim design was realised when Athena saw her favourite at his obscene meal. She withdrew in disgust and Tidus died a mortal's death. Of the seven, only Andreas and Amphius survived the failed siege on Thebes. They fled the battlefield. Atreus made it safely back to Argos, but the earth gaped before Amphius as he was driving the chariot away. Still in a fury at the doomed expedition, he welcomed death as it galloped and kept a firm grip on his bright mane horses as they plunged into the underworld. Henceforth, Amphius is worshipped as a superhuman healer who visits men and women in their dreams and instructs them on their cures. As for the two brothers, Etoseles and Polynice, they traded blows and wounds in a fight that was so close and fierce that in the end they both died. It was as well that their mother was no longer alive to see the pitiful spectacle and their father's curse fulfilled. Freon, once again the emergency ruler of Thebes, gave orders to Polynice and the rest of the aggressors from Argos were not to be honoured with a burial. But Antigone could not abide this sin against her dead brother. Her sister Esmene counselled caution and obedience. But Antigone pushed her aside and, and definitely gave Polynice at least the symbolic burial of three handfuls of dust thrown on its corpse. She preferred the unwritten law of the gods to Creon's edict and was prepared even to suffer death for it. Creon had her walled up to starve to death, but Haman, his son and Antigone's betrothed, broke up to rescue her. Finding that she had hung herself with her girdle rather than to face a slow and painful death, he slew himself on the spot with his sword, and Creon's wife did the same when she heard of the death of her son. Creon was well paid for ignoring the gods' wishes, but Thebes did fall ten years later to the sons of the seven. Led by Amphius's son, Emelion, Tiersis saw that this time the destruction of the city was inevitable and ordered its evacuation, so that at least human lives would be spared. But his daughter, Dauphine, was captured and sent to... Acmeon to Delphi, where she became the first of Sibyls, the first of those who can open themselves up to Apollo and speak to him. Acmeon also paid his mother back for her treachery by slitting her throat and taking the necklace of Harmonia. As a matricide, the Furies hounded him from place to place, but he gained temporary shelter in Arcadia, where he married the king's daughter, Arsino, and gave her the necklace. But he was a murderer, the matricide and soon a plague descended on Arcadia. Knowing himself to be the cause, he left seeking purification for his sin. On the advice of the oracle, he sought a land of which the sun had not shone when the, he killed his mother. Eventually, he found a place that fitted this description at the mouth of the river Acleos, where silk carried down the river had formed new land, and he married fair-flowing Caliho there, the daughter of the river god. But Caliho had heard of the previous necklace and insisted that Acmeon return to Arcadia and get it back. He did so, pretending that he had to take the necklace to Delphi to complete his purification. When Arsinoe's brother learnt of the trick, they killed him and, and retrieved the accursed bauble. Caliho prayed that her young son's 
might immediately be old enough to take their vengeance. But the gods granted her prayer. The curse of the necklace at last came to an end when the boys so suddenly elevated to young manhood gave it to Apollo at Delphi. I didn't realise that was the end of that chapter, but that was a quick last story for Thebes. And uh, I'll catch you next week. Thanks, guys.